This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. It's a wonderful day here in Houston, Texas. We've got Matt Kleiman, co-founder and CEO of Cumulus, right? That's right. Great Thanks to be for here. Thanks for joining us, bud. Thanks for having me. Really excited to do it. So you're in from Boston, right? Boston, yeah. That's a weird spot. How'd you get tied in only guess? Uh, so I, 2010, I was working for a company called Draper. It's the aerospace world. And Draper is a spin-out from MIT that does guidance and control systems for aircraft and spacecraft. And after Deepwater Horizon, a number of uh, oil and gas operators came to us to learn how we do fault-tolerant control systems to make aircraft and spacecraft safe when there's faults, and Deepwater Horizon being such a big wake-up call. So I was uh, one of the people leading our work with a number of operators and contractors, kind of teaching people about systems engineering, mm-hmm. fault-tolerant systems. So you just ended up in Boston over there, because so you said it was yeah. with MIT? It was a spin out from MIT, okay. yeah. Interesting. So, all right. Um, we, before we, we kind of jump again there for a second, yeah. let's start off a little bit. What do you guys do at Cumulus? All right. So what we do is we do uh, quality, we digitize quality assurance for mission critical manual work in maintenance and construction. So it's work that's high volume, mission critical, difficult to automate. You're not going to send robots out anytime soon. So you have skilled craft doing the work. Uh, and we do quality assurance by giving the workers tools that we can communicate with using an app and we can in real time monitor uh, the quality and progress of the work that's being done in the field by communicating with the tools. So I think with quality assurance in oil and gas is that you're doing QA on pieces of equipment that if they fail means the loss of life or environmental disasters, right? That's right. So it's extremely important. That's right. And so, you know, my experience with QA, QC is... You know, I, I used to run a lot of casing and, you yeah. know, I'd have guys in the shop inspecting our tools that we use to set that casing or expect, inspecting the, you know, the threads themselves and the collars themselves. Mm-hmm. What are a lot of, you know, the clients that you guys have in oil and gas, what are the use cases? You know, you said that you get, you provide these guys with like tools that yep. you can communicate with a nap. You just kind of like dive in into some yeah. of the things that you guys are doing in oil and gas. So our bread and butter, our first commercial product is around bolted joint assembly. So at a, a chemical facility, refinery, offshore platform, there are thousands or even hundreds of thousands of bolted joints mm-hmm. that not only have to be put together properly when you construct the facility, but every time you do a turnaround, you're basically taking it apart and putting it back together again. Mm-hmm. And more than 20% of leaks at these facilities is because that process of putting it back together again isn't done properly. And so that is so that's our first product. We call it the smart torque system where uh, there's wrenches for any type of bolted joint um, that are commercially available. And then workers have an, an Android or iOS app that communicates with the wrench and it monitors um, how tight they're making the bolts as they're going around. So what do you guides like, them like the Bluetooth with the wrench? Exactly. So you connect to the wrench just like you connect your phone to AirBuds. Um, yeah. So we had a company on our podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, Hex Technology. Yeah. Hex. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were talking yeah. about, you know, I used to 
bolt up BOP flanges when oh, I was yeah. a roughneck on rigs. Yep. And I was explaining the process, you know, just have a hammer wrench and, you know, 10, 15 pound hammer or whatever it was. And I'm just bolting <laughs> them off. Right. Like, it's not how much torque I'm putting on this thing. I'm just hammering up till it's tight. <clears throat> tight and so, tight. you know, when you're yep. looking at the, you know, especially like in a refinery where you have high pressure systems or, yeah. you know, pipes that are carrying, you know, chemicals and the other acids, yeah, things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. things of that nature. It's yep. very important that they're torqued to spec. Yep. And if you're just a guy out there with a wrench doing it, you don't necessarily know what that is, right? And, exactly. You know, we've always, I don't know how long, you know, torque wrenches have been around, you know, where you- years yeah, plus, right? Yeah. So. so it's cool to see it being digitized and taken to an app to where, yep. you know, you can start having analytics and actually seeing data of, okay, you know, this was tightened on, you know, this date and yep. it was torqued to this spec. So how did, did you guys, how did you guys come up? Like, how did you discover- this idea. So before starting Cumulus, I was in Shell um, and uh, I was a program director at an organization called Shell TechWorks, which is a product development center for Shell in Boston. And we were, this is 2015, 2016, we were at uh, a yard in South Korea uh, where a big facility was being built. And we were, you know, kind of almost asking naive questions like why, you know, they were doing bolt-ups and why are there four or five people going around with each torque, with each fitting team. And they said, well, you have the fitter, the co-fitter, then you have three different QA inspectors, you know, someone, a representative from the contracting company, a representative from the shipyard, and then an owner rep sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why, why do they have to follow these guys around? Why, why, you know, kind of, you know, being just naive, right? Why is this happening? Well, and you start to learn about the problems that they have with bolt-ups and why the quality is so important. It's like, there's got to be a better way to do this than have three guys follow around each fitting team, looking over their shoulder and making sure the work is done properly. And so that's when we started thinking about this and we discovered um, a company, this is back, the very first Bluetooth wrench had just come out in the market. And we said, well, can we use this instead of sending an inspector to the field can we bring the field back to the inspector using data from the tools? So you could have the inspectors sitting in a room somewhere and they're getting the data from the field. And then only if they detect a problem, will they go out and look at it, but they don't have to go look over the shoulders of every single team as they're doing all this work. So that was the first uh, inkling of this back in 2015, 2016. And then in 2016, we were at a, a facility in Singapore and we were talking about these ideas and the engineering manager at the facility, they were going through a turnaround and they said, I, I need this. I, I, you know, we, we have these issues with our contractors and um, there's been some leak issues. I need this. This would be super helpful to me. How quickly can you get this done? And it was only a slide at that point, a slide <laughs> of an idea. And, um, and so we built the first prototype and we piloted it about six months, uh, six months later in Singapore. And, Whereas there was, you know, when they started the unit up, there were zero leaks on startup, which was, which was huge. But more importantly, there were uh, a couple of different contractor companies that were doing work during the turnaround. And one of the contractor companies went to the uh, operator and said, you know, for all these reasons, we, we are behind schedule. We need to bring in more people. You know, this is normal. You guys know out in the field. And then it becomes just a contest of who has more leverage Oh, if you don't let me bring in more people, you're going to be, you're going to be late. Your startup's going to be a couple of days late and that could be millions mm-hmm. of dollars. But they said, well, let's look at this data from the smart torque system and, oh, your competitor, they're actually doing just fine. So they're not having the problems that you're reporting. Oh, and that was like, that was a shock to everybody because 
had this asymmetric information environment where the contractor, it just becomes he said, she said, but all of a sudden now there's data of how the work mm. is actually going in the field. And that just turned the whole relationship on its head. And that was the big aha moment. Hey, we're really onto something. There is valuable data here that can really help improve not only the quality piece, but productivity in the field. And um, it's a lot more valuable than, than we originally thought. How does the, the tool know what it's tightening in terms of going into a database and for the yeah. QA inspectors to actually look at it? Is that something you do through the app? Or Yeah, great question. So we get uh, a data upload from our customer. Uh, it could be a spreadsheet. It could be for, you know, especially for Greenfield, a 3D model that we mm -hmm. pull data from. And so we know the specs for every bolted joint on a job. And that is in our database. The, the app actually sets the torque settings in the wrench based on that information. And so that is how we communicate both to the wrench and to the worker what they're supposed to do. So That's if you're sweet. going into, you know, like a, a refinery or some downstream facility, mm -hmm. what's the onboarding process look like? Like, do you guys have to go through and map out their facility and upload all the specs of their equipment before? Or do you do that as time goes on and... Workers so, are inputting data. Yeah, great question. So it normally, we don't do the whole facility at once. We'll normally come in for a brownfield facility. We'll come in for a turnaround uh, mm -hmm. and we'll do whatever. And then we'll bring in whatever joints are for that particular, are being worked on in that particular turnaround. So it's much more manageable chunks. And then over time, as we do turnaround after turnaround, before you know it, the whole facility is in the system. Got you. Yeah, I resonated with that point where you said that, you know, they have a team of like five people going around and you've yeah. got a QA guy and a backup QA guy yep. and a third party. At my last company, you know, we ran a lot of tools offshore. And so yeah. QA, QC was a big deal. And you'd have our guys, our internal QA team, and then you'd have, you know, Shell would have their representative yep. there in the shop. And it's just a very time intensive process with a lot of inefficiency and people having to be you know, out here on the west side of Houston, boots on the ground, seeing it. Yeah. And so if you could actually, you know, have this platform where you can see real time what's happening, you know, I like the analogy you used, instead of taking people out to the field, bring the field, yeah. you know, to the office. I mean, I could see value in that 100%. And I'm not even yeah. that deep in a QA, QC, you know, <laughs> I've just seen it, you know, on the surface level. But yep. I definitely think that there's value yeah. to that. So you mentioned before we got on the podcast, uh, I didn't even know what you guys did at that point, so I didn't ask too many questions. <laughs> but you said that you guys were partnered with uh, Snap-on. Mm -hmm. And so what? how does a partnership with Snap-on work? Um, you know, yeah. Do they provide wrenches or, or tools for this? Like, Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so at one level, they're a supplier because um, our customers use their we, – we work with multiple hardware companies, but Snap-on is – if not our biggest, one of our biggest suppliers of these types of tools. Um, and they, they have, Snap-on has 100 years of experience making torque wrenches and they know everything about torque wrenches. They've yeah. forgotten <laughs> more than we'll ever know. Um, but they, so they're, uh, you know, at, at one level a supplier, you know, we go into a new customer, a new facility, uh, depending on what type of work is being done, we'll recommend, hey, these are the different types of tools that are compatible with the system for this type of work. And then either the customer will buy it themselves or will um, uh, will buy it for them and just you know kind of pass it through. But we Snap-on's actually been great because they are very forward-thinking about wanting to. They're more on the leading edge of all the tool manufacturers in terms of digitizing their tool 
their toolkits. Mm-hmm. So they've been working with us because, hey, this is here's a company out there that's actually doing something different with these tools that nobody else is doing. So let's learn from them. And and so there's a lot of back and forth collaboration on. We give them a lot of feedback on, hey, it'd be great if you know here's some problems that we've had in the field. Then the next version of this you should do this. You should do that. And they so, they're, they're great at that's being awesome. receptive to that yeah. type of feedback. Just to clarify, you guys are agnostic to yes. the ranch supplier to the hardware. You guys are the software provider. That's right. We, we make software. We're a software and analytics company. So our product is the mobile software, the mobile app, and then the cloud hosted database where uh, the control center, where our customers monitor the work that's going on and the analytics yeah. that we use. And then we work with any hardware supplier that has a compatible device. That's interesting. Walk us through. So you, I, one thing you mentioned was about the the analytics that of, of being able to see mm-hmm. how competitors are kind of stacking up. Are they having the same issues? Dive into that a little bit because I think that's yeah. really, really interesting. Yeah. So we're getting data at the individual worker level. So, well, let's take a step back. If you think about most... Um, connected worker or worker management apps, they, they're typically stopping at the work order level. So it's, you know, I, I give you a work order, here's mm-hmm. work order number one. Um, that's the information you get. You're going to go out and you're going to go do whatever the work. Maybe you take a photograph of it. Maybe you fill out a checklist mm-hmm. and then you come back and you check, yes, I completed this work. And that's useful. And that's usually used for payment processing and things like that. But that's where most applications stop we kind of start there. We say, okay, there's, there's a worker going out to do a job. Now let's one guide the worker through each step of their workflow to make sure that they're doing it. Um, from the time they first approach an untouched joint, just to use the, continue the bolted joint example to the whole process of disassembling it, doing whatever work they're going to do, reassembling it. The QC and QA are also using our system. So if you do have an inspector come in, they can do their inspection mm-hmm. using our system. So we're getting that really granular data on every step of the work process. And that's important both for um, record keeping and auditing, but also giving assurance to whoever the powers that be are that, yes, this work was actually done. It wasn't just somebody checking a box. We actually have data from the tool telling us that this work was done. They weren't just pencil whipping it. They actually Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So, so that's, and then once you have that granular data, you can do all sorts of things with it. One is, you know, the base case is just verifying, yes, the work was done and, and everybody, and that builds trust among mm-hmm. everybody in the process. But then you could back that up. You could say, okay, here's a team level of these teams of workers. What are they doing? Um, you look at the contracting companies, which contracting companies tend to be more efficient at different types of work. You can start to see correlations between, all right, well, this with either this type of units or these types of flanges, this company um, is on average, they're more accurate or they're faster Mm -hmm. uh, than this other company. And maybe the other company is better at a different type of work. And and so you could start to uh, benchmark who's in in the top, middle and bottom quartiles. It's like gamification in a way. It is. And it's funny you mentioned that because that was one of the coolest things we saw in the early days. Um, No matter where we went in the world, one of the first, because we make it visible to the worker what, mm-hmm. how they're doing, because we want it to help them as well as help the, their customer. And they would automatically become, uh, universally become competitive with each other. Because, you know, if you think about what displays in the app, 
is uh, you know a, a representation of the bolted joint, and then red, yellow, green, uh, how how you did for each bolt. And they would start competing with each other. You know, I got all greens, or I got you know just one yellow. Oh, you got a red. Oh, you you stink. Uh, you You're know, not worth a damn. I'm the best. More <laughs> expletives, torture. right? Yeah. <laughs> and and so then. And, and that was a, another light bulb moment. We did not expect that at all. So we started putting some of that in the system too. Like, you know, you could give badges out for, for mm -hmm. performance. You could, you could say, hey, these are the 10 most accurate fitters on the job. And we're going to give them, I don't know, gift cards or something, some reward for, yeah. for doing well. And you could really can gamify it. We've only scratched the surface with that, but that's something on the long term we really want to do it's so funny cool. human psychology and behavior i remember when i was drilling wells out in west texas we yeah. used to drill alongside a bison rig and we love running circles around <laughs> drilling those wells yeah. out there and then uh the company rsp would also give us a 500 dollar um visa gift card yep. if we completed the well you know within 14 days with a yeah. safe safe uh record and so like those things incentivize us, right? And so, Absolutely. It's, it's all psychology. It's yeah. whether you're Robin hood or you yeah. know, an app on yeah. trading or you're, yeah. um, or you're, you know, tightening bolts. It, it's, it all works the same way. So, you know, Yale's technology, it doesn't care about what types of bolts or flanges are being right. tightened up. You know, it's industry agnostic. Do you guys, I mean, are you focused on oil and gas or are you in other industrial, yeah. um, sectors as well. So oil and gas is definitely our, our key core market um, today, but we have started expanding into some other industries. Mm -hmm. For instance, we just got a contract with our first uh, pharmaceutical company. Uh, oh, really? Uh, customer. You know, they, they have flanges and bolt, bolts also. Yeah, that's really interesting to think uh, about. I mean, it's like anytime you go to a brewery, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm always walking around there. I'm like, this looks just like an oil and gas plant, yep. you know, and I'm sure pharmaceuticals are the same you, way. You start seeing the world very differently. Once you start getting, <laughs> you're like, oh, that's a, that's a flange. I mean, I look around this room, right? And, yeah, and you look around, it. you're like, man, there's just a bunch of butterfly just, valves and centrifugal exactly. pumps and it's all the same. <laughs> uh, so yeah, a pharma company, um, actually it was a funny story. You know, one of our customers from an, an oil and gas customer went to work as a QA person at this pharma company, he's like, yeah, they have, they have terrible problems with their, their flanges. They're just going around banging, banging the flanges closed <laughs> and they have leaks. And it's not that it's, they don't have the same toxic materials that are leaking, but they, they worry about downtime. Yeah. And every time there's a leak that shuts down the line until it's fixed. Yeah. And that just like an oil and gas that adds up over time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, renewables is a big area we're chasing some opportunities in yeah. right now. Um, and so, and there's a few other, on our, one of my, my favorite conversations was with, um, somebody, a major amusement park operator, um, major entertainment company. You could imagine which one it is <laughs> and that operates, you know, one of the most popular attractions in the world. And we were just talking and they have the same exact problem in, in amusement parks as we do in oil and gas in terms of bolted joints safety critical, yeah. something goes wrong, people have gotten hurt and the dynamics of quality, the quality issues they have are exactly the same. It's, it just blows your mind everywhere you look. Where you guys need to be at is the uh, mobile carnivals that go around from the mall yeah. parking lots. Can't trust those, those are things. Sketchy. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You know, as as I learn more and more about the world, I don't know if my my daughter is going to be going on any of those anytime <laughs> yeah, soon. So. 100%. <laughs> so, you know, 
oil and gas, obviously massive sector. It sounds like you guys are international that you're not just uh, here in the United States. Would you say the majority of that is um, downstream refining? Um, Seems like that'd be a massive refining LNG facilities also. Um, Yeah. Uh, definitely the bulk is uh, chemical plants, refineries, LNG. Uh, but we do do some upstream as well, uh, especially offshore. I was going to say, if you're upstream, I'm sure it's offshore. It's you know, offshore. On the land, there's not, I mean, there's obviously QAQC, but not like not not, not with the volumes that yeah. make mm-hmm. as much sense. Yeah. But yeah, offshore, Gulf of Mexico and Southeast Asia. Southeast Asia is a really big market for us. Um, it's a huge growth area just yeah. generally, but they've really taken to the technology, the companies out there. Really? Um, Interesting. Yeah. And, uh, and it's before COVID, it was our fastest growing region. Once COVID happened, that's kind of put a dent in it, but it'll come back. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Southeast Asia offshore and onshore. Yeah. That's, um, I never had the pleasure to go out to Southeast Asia. A lot of our guys did at Adventure. Yeah. Yeah, Here it's awesome. And that's really interesting to hear that they're forward thinking in terms of adopting technology. I mean, it's not that surprising just given, the uh you know general nature of that area i mean they're the ones that create a lot of the technology they they do and and you also don't get the well i've been doing it this way for decades so i'm just going to keep doing you know the the person before me didn't get fired doing it this way so i'm going to keep doing it this way (laughs) you know a lot of it's a lot newer out there so um there's just they're just it's easier to bring in a new technology yeah uh, with the new in a new build or new environment yeah For those of you that haven't heard of Petrovisor platform from Datagration yet, well, you're in luck because I just so happen to be the sponsor of the Oil & Gas Service Podcast. So Petrovisor is a knowledge automation platform for EMP companies' production and operations data. If you're watching this on video, I know you can see the screen share. They're walking us through a demo here. Super, super slick. So what does it do? It removes existing data silos to automate the flow of data and knowledge across the EMP value chain. So what is that? So doing this creates knowledge automation for everyday work while enabling scalability, speed of deployment, and data transparency throughout the organization. Customers use Petrovisor to make the best use of their data, preparing themselves and their organizations for a generational evolution of technology. Where the platform operators have seen an increase in operating netbacks, having lower lifting costs by 10 to 20% through advanced problem detection and lift optimization. In addition, operators can reduce data management costs by 80 to 90%. That is no joke while increasing data utilization with Petrovisor. These guys make it super simple. Petrovisor can be implemented in a matter of weeks, not months, saving hundreds of thousands of dollars for the operator, if not millions. Head over to datagration.com to learn more. So how does y'all's business model work? I mean, is this a SaaS platform where it's like, you know, we charge by user, do you charge by job? How does it work? It's usage-based. So it's a software license, but it's we charge by the number of work completions. So a work completion is somebody goes through the workflow. And um, and so we charge its volume uh, by work completion. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so it's, we, we thought about doing users in the beginning, but the problem is that every it's so transient who's coming in and coming out all the time. Yeah. It becomes mm-hmm. a mess to try to track it. So yeah. it's just, all right, customer, whether you're, we have customers that are the mechanical contractors, we have customers that are the operators, just whatever you're using it, however often you're using it, that's what you get charged. Yeah. This is a question out of left field, but yeah. my mind's going here, so I'm going <clears> to <throat> ask it. Um, do you guys ever think about what the future of blockchain looks like in an application like this and to really certify 
you know, hey, this was done by, you know, employee XYZ at this time. I mean, is that something that you guys think about? Because it seems like a perfect use case. I mean, imagine having like an entire refinery built from the ground up and you have it documented. Yeah. Like who yeah, tightened see, every yeah. single bolt and whether they did it on time. And then you have like this gigantic, I don't know, maybe chain, I guess, or whatever for the facility. Absolutely. It's an immutable ledger that says, here's exactly, you're certifying that it was built the way that it should have been built. And if you think about a, a big thing with blockchain is, is trust between the two sides. Yeah, that's what yeah. a smart contract is. Yeah. And that's what we are providing from a data perspective in that we are providing assurance to people on both sides of the transaction that yes, that work was done and it was done properly. So we already have some customers that through brute force, they're using our system to govern payments. You know, they, a customer is a contractor and then they say to their customer, Hey, the Cumulus system says the work is done. Okay. We agree the work is done. Now you get paid. I'm putting two and two together because yeah. you just told me before we started recording that you were over at Data Gumbo <laughs> meeting with Andrew Bruce. So <laughs> no, it's all there we making go. sense now. <laughs> Got it. So yeah, well, you know, one, one of the challenges, and I will not speak for Data Gumbo, but uh, you know, one of the challenges generally with smart contracts is access to data that's relevant to the completion of the job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that's trusted by both sides. And that's something that we're able to provide is for especially labor contracts, it's, yeah, was the work done? Who did the work? How long did it take them to do it? And was it done properly? And that's what we provide. And that's the information you need for a smart contract. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for diving into that a little bit as you're explaining it. I just started seeing some use cases there for it. What are some of the things that you found to be tough while building? You know, first off, how did you guys build this app? You know, I like to kind of talk about the development of the app and the business itself for any other aspiring entrepreneurs that are out there sure. listening. You know, were you the technical guy that went and developed the app? Um, did you get a team to build it? Talk to us about that some. Sure. So I am not myself the technical guy that built the app. I'm uh, on the business side of things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I have a lot of really good friends who are. Yeah. <laughs> so it pays to have good friends. It pays to have good friends. So we were fortunate. Um, you know, we started at the beginning of the podcast, it brings full circle. Uh, you know, we were, uh, when I was at Draper, we'd started doing this work after Deepwater Horizon with reliability and control systems. And then in 2013, Shell, which was one of our customers, came to the other guy who was work, doing this work and I and me and said, uh, you know, this is great, but we'd like to do something in-house. Would you guys like to start a center for us in Boston? to build products um, using a lot of these capabilities that you have. And we jumped at the chance. And so we formed this organization called Shell Tech Works, which is an homage to the Lockheed Skunk Works. So we had a product development team that was doing work throughout Shell's business, you know, from exploration to retail uh, and everything in between. And so when we identified the, this challenge and this opportunity, we, we have a product development team that was, that was able to jump on it and build the first prototype. Um, the first prototype was actually built uh, because of IT standards at the time on a Windows-based platform, which was just caused all kinds of issues and I would not recommend to anyone. <laughs> yeah. um, it, so one of the first, so then we got, we started getting a lot of success in Shell. And then in 2018, we, the core team, uh, in a friendly way, we we left Shell mm-hmm. and we took the IP with Shell. Shell's actually an investor of ours, so Shell is oh, cool. friendly. Um, 
we took the IP. So you know Kurt Coburn over I, there pretty I well. Do Kirk, Good yeah, deal. Yeah, yeah. I do know Kurt. <laughs> Great friend yeah. of ours. So I loved his podcast with you guys. Oh, awesome. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> favorite, man. Uh, I listened to it. Um, so no, Kirk's a great guy. Um, and so, but we left in 2018, the core team, uh, left Shell TechWorks to start Cumulus. Uh, we got outside investors. Shell participated in our first round and then our subsequent rounds of financing. Um, so awesome. that's the business side. So, uh, so we had a product development team in place. Um, the CTO of Cumulus, a gentleman named Chiz Chiquendu, he was the head of electrical engineering at Shell TechWorks. And he's just, you know, brilliant Yale educated guy, both in double E and a comp sci guy. And, um, and, and he's brilliant. Our software team. I mean, I don't want to start naming individuals, but, <laughs> um, and, and, and we have a great team that, that, that builds a product and continues to develop. So it's most of the team based in Boston. The technical team is based in Boston. Um, we also have some remote developers as well, but, uh, and then the commercial team is primarily here in Houston. Here in Houston. Yep. Yeah. Makes sense. Yep. Right. Yep. So how has COVID, you know, affected, we were talking earlier, you know, you got vaccinated. Yeah. It's one of your first trips out yep. and feeling like a free man again. Exactly. It's good to get face to face with people. Uh, how has COVID really affected you guys and how have you kind of pushed through that? And, you know, was it kind of just maintain mode for the last year and survive like the rest yeah. of the industrial industry or, you know, what did you guys see? Well, we saw the first couple of months, so March, April, May, I mean, everything just ground to a halt. That was both COVID and the oil price crash. Yeah. Uh, like everything stopped and it was conserve cash, go into survival mode, um, get yeah. some, uh, shore up some funding with our existing investors who were great in providing us that funding to make sure we got through it and didn't have to do anything too drastic. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then it was adapt. So we started to adapt how to sell excuse me, how to sell remotely, uh, something that was typically a very hands-on mm -hmm. show me sell sale. Um, so we, we got Hop on zoom, show them the wrench, basically, <laughs> um, you know, and, and ship wrenches out to people and say, all right, once you get it, give me, a, you know, then here's the app on your phone and then we'll walk you through it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, but now we've actually got pretty good at that. And we've done implementations in Southeast Asia and in India, obviously in North America, um, since COVID started, once we kind of got our groove on how to do this all remotely and do it well, um, it, it's still, you know, COVID was definitely an impact and the inability to travel internationally, especially still impacts our business, Yeah, but it's definitely been recovering kind of since the summer, it's on a slow and steady rise back to some sort of normal. And in some ways COVID has been a tailwind for us. So we had a couple, you know, we talk about offshore Malaysia, when COVID hit, we were scheduled to support a turnaround in an offshore, an offshore platform in Malaysia, and the QA team got quarantined. They couldn't go out to the platform. And normally, that would have resulted in a delay of the turnaround, but that, that would have been, any delay is costly, but this was especially costly as everybody was trying to adjust to COVID. And for the first time, they accepted the smart twerk data as the QA from shore. So the QA team from shore reviewed the data mm. and signed off on the work, which would never have happened before. Before, COVID. yeah. It, there would always have to be at least a spot check by a person in the field. And so, and now that that Rubicon has been crossed, it's like, oh, it's okay. And the, and the, the unit started up, there were no leaks. It was on time. Everything was fine. 
So now that becomes something we've done. Yeah. And it helps drive the whole process of digitalization forward. So I think there has been that tailwind, but sure. Yeah, we were definitely yeah. impacted by it. Yeah, that's actually a pretty cool catalyst of, you know, what could happen. And I always imagine that's kind of like how automation works in, in some form is like you start using it and you have a guy going back behind checking yes and he's checking and then after like the hundredth time of checking and it being correct like okay maybe we don't need to send a guy out there to check anymore we can just accept that it's good and trust exactly it. um yeah and the other thing that happened with covid uh and we just put this case study on our website with shell that in there uh shell's building a giant new chemical plant outside of pittsburgh oh, okay and they had to, you know, March 18th, I think it was shut down, shut down the site Jeez. and everybody was sent home. Thousands of workers sent home. Um, and there was something like 7,000 bolted joints in the middle of being worked on when this happened. Dang. And normally there would have been a huge amount of disruption from this whole process. But when they brought everybody back six weeks later, um, they just started working again, picking up the system and going and not having to piece together where were we when we left off. That's and, really cool. And uh, I imagine a lot of things would fall through the cracks normally. It, it normally would, right? Yeah. Because they they did a deep cleaning of the site, and a, a lot of things got accidentally thrown out. Um, you know, the workers who left weren't necessarily the same people who came back six weeks later. <laughs> I can tell you from a tower change yeah. on a you know intraday twenty four hour shift. You know, you have night crew and day exactly. crew. Exactly. <laughs> so much gets lost. Let alone yeah, six in that, weeks yeah. during COVID, right? Yeah, this so is you the extrapolate March, that April. over two months. I mean, so so you have all these little anecdotes, and I'm sure lots of companies in our space have similar anecdotes where, at a necessity, people started doing things that we've been advocating for them to do for years. Yeah. And which is really long-term will drive the industry forward. Yeah. So, you know, for you guys, it sounds like things are going pretty well for you. And you mentioned that you've done subsequent funding. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of the challenges to your business, you know, outside of COVID? Obviously, you know, that yeah. was a given. But have you guys seen, like, you know, has the adoption of the technology been, have there been a lot of headwinds for that? I mean, it sounds like obviously having Shell invested in you that, you know, yeah. one of the things that comes with that is that, you know, they can deploy you in any applications that they may have, which helps a ton. Yeah. Um, has there been anything that like really stands out to you and challenges to scale the business? Uh, sure. And, and it's definitely challenging, you know, even before COVID. Um, one is just resistance to change and the general conservative nature of the industry that we're in. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the, the, how do you demonstrate to somebody enough that there are, that, that, that it's, that it, people are used to, there's this, especially people who've been burned with digital technologies and mm -hmm. something came in and didn't work. Um, and they, they, they worry about it. Oh, you know, hey, we, we tried some system and it, it was terrible for one reason or another. We're not going to try another one. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, and then we have to overcome that. And it, what really helps is, is our origin that, hey, we were, we, were, we were the customer trying to solve our own problem. And the market wasn't solving it for us. So we created the system to solve our own just problem. did it ourselves. <laughs> and so that, that helps a lot in, in building confidence. But yeah, I mean, general conservatism in the industry, you, this was a, a problem a few years ago and it's becoming less of a problem, but just a resistance to having data in the cloud yeah. um, is and in certain countries, it's not really an issue in the US or North America anymore, but in certain countries, they want everything on-prem. And for a company that's built 
to be in the cloud, you know, you could either decide to spend a lot of money and do it or just say, you know, disqualify them as a customer. Yeah. Um, so, That's tough. so resistance to cloud-based technology is, has been a challenge less so as people get more comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was a challenge in the U S even just until a couple years ago, a couple years, years ago. ago. Yeah. It wasn't long well, ago. I, you know, when I, I joined Shell in 2013 and I remember the first couple of years, if you were going to go to the idea of giving workers mobile devices in the field was you know, never, never would have happened. It was only until maybe 2016 or so that that started to become normal. Yeah, I'd say accepted. even like 2018. It's like when it really yeah, felt maybe like even it started 2018. to get, yeah, be acceptable. <laughs> exactly. And then let alone bring your own device, right? Yeah. So, uh, it, but, but that's over time, that's gotten better and better. And, and now it's not even really, no, nobody questions it yeah. anymore. Yeah. Um, but I would say just, yeah, the general distrust of bad prior experiences with digitalization, like, there's a lot of companies, and I saw this when I was in Shell, a lot of startups come in and say, hey, we have this great data analytics platform. Give us all your data and we will generate a lot of value for you in two years. Um, and people look at that, you know, that, that's, that, 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 that's not helping anybody. Yeah. And so people, a lot of people in the field have that view of what a digital solution is and not something that could help them immediately. Yeah. Let's dive in just a little bit on the topic of Southeast Asia being um, willing to adopt new technology. You know, is that, this is, I don't think we've talked about this on the show. And so this is interesting to me. Um, You know, if there's a founder out there that has a product or a solution, and especially, you know, if it's tailored towards offshore or Mm -hmm. downstream refining, is that something that you suggest is going and trying to get market penetration in Southeast Asia. And one, I mean, that seems incredibly tough to do to um, yeah. you know, explain to us a little bit about what it actually looks like in terms of execution, you know, mm-hmm. boots on the ground and, you know, oh, yeah. integrating with, you know, different, cu- like different, you know, just customs and, and things of that nature. It's definitely a double-edged sword um, because while there is this great adoption and even in some places, government support to, to do this, or government mandates to yeah. do this. Um, it, it, you know, on the other hand, it's on the other side of the world. So you're, you know, when we're supporting customers in Asia, we are in Boston or here in Houston in the middle of the night responding yeah. to customer support requests. Uh, that, and that's one of our first things. Once travel restrictions are lifted, we're going to, you know, we need to hire some people in local time. Uh, Get some to, boots on the ground to, over there. Boots on the yeah. ground, exactly. So, you know, there's those kinds of challenges. Um, the logistics before you know what you're doing. I mean, you know, we've gotten hit with some customs bills, shipping unexpected customs build bills, yeah. shipping, uh, shipping things back and forth. We had one, one time we had to send some equipment from Singapore to Malaysia and Malaysia, each state governs its own customs. It's not oh, a wow. national thing. And so they literally had to put it, on a boat, you know, the, the expression, the slow boat from China, yeah. they literally had to put it on a boat from Singapore to Malaysia that took weeks to get there and get to the site. So there's all these little things about operating internationally that until you get burned a few times, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, are surprises. So you have Remind, to be ready for that. Reminds me of a story. I go to do a job on the North Slope and I never worked on the North Slope before. Yeah. And so I ship my equipment up there and I didn't cover it. And so it gets there and I mean, it's just frozen solid. Yeah. I mean, 
all the tools internally are frozen. And it's like little things like that you don't yep. think about until you get burned on it once. Well, related, we had a customer leave a whole bunch of wrenches out in during monsoon season, just outside, exposed. And just rust it up. <laughs> the, the wrenches, they, they could withstand a lot. They're really rugged and some are even intrinsically safe and everything. But, you know, you, you have it, leave it out in a monsoon, a piece of electronics, that's going to get hurt. Yeah. Um, that, that was a good point, though, about tools being intrinsically safe because yeah. with Bluetooth, how does that, how does Bluetooth affect operating environments? Like so that? it doesn't, we were very, one of the things we worked on with Snap-on was uh, getting our first, their, it wasn't ours, it's their wrench, uh, an intrinsically safe um, uh, UL class one div two um, wrench approved through UL so that we have one that we can use. It's not class uh, div one, which would be in the most extreme environments, but 99% of the environments it could operate in. Yeah. So what about the phone though? Because offshore rigs are super strict on cell phones. I remember like my first time being offshore, I had my cell phone out on the rig floor. And I mean, I still remember that S2 and I got um, for that. Yeah. How do you guys handle, um, I mean, are people using their cell phones or are they using a tablet? Typically they use it it with tablets that are intrinsically safe. There are both Android tablets um, that you could buy that are made intrinsically safe. Uh, or iOS, you could buy cases for iPads oh, that gotcha. are intrinsically safe cool. and use it. If um, there's different classifications for intrinsic safety, so the highest classification you can buy cases for those, but we found that that starts to really interfere with the signal and you start to get real connectivity issues with those. Yeah. But the class one div two for people who know, um, <laughs> which is one level down from the highest level of protection that seems to be fine. And that's a sweet spot for the it. The signal is able to get through and we haven't had any real issues with that. Awesome. And that's what the, the wrenches are also certified to class one div two. And um, I mean, you might not get the same range, you know, instead of, I forgot the exact specs, but instead of 60 feet, which is normally your Bluetooth communication, yeah. assuming you don't have a Faraday cage of metal around you, um, you know, maybe you're at 20 feet, but yeah. that's fine. Well, I mean, you got to be close to the wrench to operate. Exactly. Right? So, you're, you're typically <laughs> a few feet away anyway. Can't, so it can't doesn't work the matter. Wrench from 60 but, feet away. So. But it, yeah. But, it, you know, it, it, so it has been an issue at those, the highest levels of classificate of safety, but yeah. one level down has been fine. And then our customers offshore have all been willing to accept that. Awesome. So if someone's listening to this podcast and they want to check you guys out, um, where can they find you? What's the website? Is it cumulus.com? It's, it's a cumulusds.com. DS.com. David Sierra. Okay, cool. So ds.com. We're also pretty active on LinkedIn. So check awesome. us out there. And well, uh, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from people. Yeah. So we'll throw some links to the website and to your LinkedIn and the show notes. So make sure this stuff sounds pretty cool. Um, it's definitely, you know, something that I've seen an issue with out in the field and I'm not even from the QA, QC perspective. That was just me being a tool hand. So many use cases. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So, man, we've just been like, We've been bolt nerds here on the We've show lately with these past couple of episodes. That's our whole bolting had, podcast. So yeah. <laughs> yep. The oil and gas bolting podcast. So, Matt, thanks for coming on, man. Really thanks, appreciate guys. This. this has been great. Really yeah, it's been enjoyed great having uh, you, speaking to you guys. Yep. Thanks. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, take two seconds to share this with your friends. We'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go, go, go.